Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will talk to us about taking care of God's business, or as he defines it, the small job of business and the big job of God's business. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. You took care of the business. It's just kind of like a, almost like a, kept rolling in my mind. God took care of the business. Took care, took care, took care, took care. And the more I said that, that's when the phrase came to me as if God said it himself. You take care of my business and I will take care of your business. And I said, deal, right away when I heard that. Right away when I understood that. I said, deal, put it there, partner, God. I said, I got it. I heard from you. I understood from you. You take care of my business, and I will take care of your business. You take care of my business. I'll take care of your business. And since I did that and made that agreement with God in 2007, Scanabodies, which is my business, so to speak, has never had a debt, has never had a mortgage, has never had an investor. And I determined at that point to give myself to God's business, which is the same business as the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of when he summarized the business of God in Luke 2.49. He said, I must be about my father's business. Sorry, that's the verse that speaks about, we'll come to the summary in a minute. That's the verse that speaks about him giving himself to the father's business when he said, I must be about my father's business. If you looked at him and you said, what is the Lord Jesus Christ about? You would come to the conclusion he is about his father's business. When God wants to look at us and when others see us and when he sees us and the question is, what is he or she about? The conclusion God wants is that he or she is about God the Father's business. And so now the summary, exactly what is that business? That's given to us in Luke 19.10, the famous mission statement verse of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he speaks of himself as the Son of Man. He speaks of himself of the purpose for which he came into the earth. And he makes this statement, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, it's hard work to seek and to save that which was lost. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes focus. And God sees that. That time, that effort that we put in to doing the Father's business. That time, that effort we put in to seeking to save that which was lost is a limited time and effort. We don't have unlimited time. We don't have unlimited effort. We have limited time. We have limited effort. And that is the same limited time and limited effort that cannot be spent on my business, Scantabody's laboratory business, if it is to be spent on God's business. And God sees that. God sees that when we have spent our limited time and effort on God's business, then we don't have that time 
that we spent, we don't have it available to spend on our business. And God sees that when we have spent our money on God's business, then we don't have that money to buy something for ourselves. But God has unlimited time, and God has unlimited resources, and God makes a decision to spend his unlimited time and to spend his unlimited resources on those who are spending their limited time and resources on God's business. God has unlimited time and resources to take care of our business if we use our limited time and resources to take care of his business and he uses his unlimited time and resources to take care of us, take care of our business. Now that's what we're looking at here in Exodus 121. It's exactly what we're seeing here because in Exodus 121 when it says, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses, you know, the personal business of those midwives was their own families and their own houses, which they could not take care of if they were killed by Pharaoh. They risked being killed by Pharaoh. That means they risked not being able to take care of their own families and their own houses because they didn't obey Pharaoh. So those midwives knew that their personal interests, that their personal business was to take care of their houses, but those midwives also knew that God's personal interest, that God's personal business was to build up the families of the Jewish people. And because those midwives said, I will take care of God's business, because those midwives said, I will take care of God's interest, which is to save those male babies, which they called fearing God. That's why verse 21 says, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Because those midwives took care of God's business, God took care of their business. Those midwives knew God was saying to them, you take care of my business and I will take care of your business. Verse 21 is really saying they took care of God's business and God took care of their business. That's a biblical principle of you take care of my business and I'll take care of your business. We've seen that in what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things, and that's what he calls our business and interests, all those things shall be added unto you. For example, King Solomon said, he said this many times and many things that he said, in essence and in summary, you take care of my business and I'll take care of your business. But one of the places that he said this is in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, where King Solomon said, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, we think to ourselves, naturally speaking, we think to ourselves, well, 
the way we are going to get our barns filled with plenty and our presses bursting out with new wine is by hard work. We're going to have to work really hard to get our barns all filled up with plenty and to get our presses bursting out with new wine. That's the thinking way of the natural man who does not put God in his equation. He just says things like, God helps those who help themselves. That's not a biblical principle. So, we work our hands, therefore, to the bone. And we worry ourselves into a puddle about how we are going to plant more and harvest more and store more and guard more and protect more what we have stored and we spend our limited time and resources in trying to fill our barns because that's our business. Our business is to fill our barns and we take care of our business. But God says no. I know your business is to fill your barns, but my business needs substance. My business needs the first fruits of thine increase. And by the way, that was very, very dear, the first fruits of the increase. That was very, very share. Because when the first fruits was the first harvest, there was no guarantee that there wouldn't be some terrible wind or some locusts or thieves or a fire or a drought or bad conditions to guarantee the remainder of the harvest would come. So the first fruits, your natural inclination when you got your first fruits from the harvest is to grab that and hold that because that's a bird in hand. That's something that you can hold on to. Now, if something comes later, that's all well and good, but never give up your first fruits. And God says, no, you want to take care of my business? Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. When you gave your first fruits to God, you were saying, I'm trusting you, God. All for Jesus, I give all to God, hold back nothing for myself. That's the statement that's made when you give your first fruits of thine increase. That's verse 9. That is taking care of God's business. Then comes verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That's verse 10. That is God taking care of our business. Verse 9 is, you take care of my business, which is to honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Verse 10 is, and I will take care of your business, which is so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall break out, burst out with new wine. God knows that we have concerns. God knows that we have our business that we are concerned about. And God is saying to us, make my concerns your concerns, and I will make your concerns my concerns. The Lord taught me this. I married my wife when I was 19 years old. Now, because my wife is not Jewish, I was uh, no longer welcome in our family. I was actually cut off from our family. Up until that point, I had money because my father was well-to-do. As a matter of fact, my thinking was that money was a basic human right. That's the way I thought. 
My father was a Beverly Hills obstetrician, gynecologist. We lived in Bel Air, which is not exactly a low-income area of Los Angeles. So all of a sudden, at the age of 19, Tommy, who had had the silver spoon in his mouth all of his life, that silver spoon was yanked out of his mouth, and Tommy found himself with only $100 in his pocket. That's all I had, $100 in my pocket. And we were living in a studio apartment on River Road in Cincinnati, where there were gunshots at night. And there were wives who were screaming because their husbands were beating them or somebody was beating them at night. And that was, I wasn't used to that. There were no gunshots in Bel Air. There were no wives screaming in Bel Air. And I got a job on the railroad to make some money. I got a job, the only job I could find was a trainer to be a switchman. It paid $1.75 an hour. And then I got another job at Hilton Davis Chemical Company. I was working as a technician for $3.50 per hour. And then my wife got a job at Procter & Gamble, and she opened all those envelopes with all those mailed-in coupons that people used to mail in. That was my wife's job. All day long, she'd open up the envelopes, take out the coupons, and, and that's what she did. Well, then the company I was working on, Hilton Davis Chemical Company, they went on strike. And I found myself working 14 hours a day, seven days a week, which meant that we could make some money because we were paid overtime, double time, and so, so kinds of time. Anyway, and in less than a year, we had saved up $1,400. We thought we were the richest people in the world, and we moved to San Diego. When my father died, his will was read, and I found that I was left $25, which I don't even think I ever received. So I started Scanabody's Lab in 1976, and because of the uh, church I was attending, I had a heart for mission, our particular church where I am now teaching. And at that time in the 1970s and still today, gave over 70% of its income to missions. So that was a statement. It was ingrained. So anyways, I asked God to give me some of his money so that I could use it for his business. And he did. And some people think that, well, with this Friends of God or Friendship with God radio program, that I make a lot of money. Well, let me kind of set the record straight. In 2012, the total donations from the radio program were $3,120. And the cost just to buy the radio time is $1.5 million per year. $3,120 is a smaller number than $1.5 million dollars. But the $1.5 million is not even half of the expenses from the other ministries of the full-time and the part-time staff that knock on over a million Jewish doors per year in the U.S. and in Argentina and the Christian School in Takati and the Creation Museum and the Outreach Center in Ethiopia. But I don't view this as my money because did you catch what I said in the beginning? I asked God to give me some of his money so I could use it for his business. So I don't see it as my money because I asked God to give me some of his money. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ owns everything. It's all his. I see myself as just a bank teller that handles money that does not belong to him. You know what's a problem? I'll tell you what a problem is. A problem is when the bank teller gets the idea that he owns the money that he's handling. That's a problem. That's why we have prison. 
He's only responsible for that money. He doesn't own that money. And I see death as a retirement from my job as a bank teller, where I'll go and make my final report to my boss, and I want to be able to tell the Lord Jesus Christ that I handled his money responsibly. I don't want to go there to heaven and having bought a house in the Caribbean on the beach and when it comes time to make a report, I don't want to say, oh, you should have seen the view. The view, oh, the view was so great. He's not going to be interested in that because that's not part of his business. So the Lord Jesus Christ wants to use us. He wants to use our money and time for his business and he will then take care of our business. So when we read verse 21 in Exodus 1, we can imagine a celebration after this happened because the houses were built, and this must have been a, a celebration afterward for the midwives and because, God, because they had taken care of God's business and God had taken care of the midwives' business. I imagine people came over to these new houses, however they were, and celebrated, and it was a wonderful time. But what the midwives had done by telling Pharaoh that the Jewish women were more lively and they jumped off the stools of their babies before the midwives would, had came, you know, that story of what they told, that must have spread all over the place. We have it written here. That news spread all around. And the midwives were like heroes within Israel. And we can imagine the celebration at their houses. We can imagine many people coming up to them, taking both of their hands and shaking them and coming over to their new houses that God had made for them. And we can imagine the whole story, as we've just read it here, being told over and over again of with the midwives. Do you know what these midwives told Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? Can you believe it? And they tell us again. And the story being told with laughter. And we can can imagine the Jewish women coming over to the houses and holding up their new baby boys as the prizes. Look what you won! And holding them up for the midwives to see and everybody to say, the saying to those newborn boys that we can imagine the, the Jewish mothers saying to those newborn boys, See those midwives? They're the reason you're alive. <laughs> you should be thanking them. We'll thank them for you later on. You'll learn. You can imagine someone in the group saying, <laughs> almost in a joking way. Oh, here's the Jewish women. Boy, you sure are lively. I knew you were all lively, as lively as a bucking camel. And just a real happy time, a real joyous time, a celebration. And someone else said, and they said that the Jewish women were not as the Egyptian women. That's a good one. And the laughter would go on. And another would say, look at these beautiful houses that God made for them. You know, that's a wonderful scene of celebration and of joy and seeing how God took care of those midwives. I wish this scene of celebration of verse 21 was the last verse in the chapter because it's such a happy thought. It's such a happy scene, but unfortunately it's not the last verse. And the last verse tells us there was one person who was not celebrating. There was one person who was not making jokes and, and, and congratulating him and joyful to see the male babies alive. And that person is described in verse 22, where it says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. 
We will always have the pharaohs in our lives as long as we're down here on earth. And we should be prepared for them. In our battle that I told you about with Quest Diagnostics, we set out, very hard work, to invalidate this patent that they had bought from Germany. We set out to invalidate that patent in Europe, in German court, in the European Patent Office, in Japan, and in the U.S. And we were successful in getting that patent ruled in those areas of Europe, Japan, and the U.S. It was ruled separately uh, as invalid. And in Japan, it was interesting because our distributor and our representative in Japan is Sumitomo. And at that time, they fought with us in Japan against that Quest patent. And I remember when we won, and the Quest patent was ruled in the Japanese patent office, the JPO, invalid. And I went over, and we met, and we had our celebration dinner. It was a happy time. And at that dinner, we went to a restaurant where this restaurant had this uh, big shogun helmet, you know, battle helmet with straps, and they put that big shogun helmet on, and with the mail, there was some brass mail that went over to the fronts of the shoulders and the back for protection, and the straps were there, and they told me to tighten the straps. It was heavy. It was really heavy. It was hot. I was sweating in that, in that helmet, I remember. But then they told me the story. They said, in the year 1600, a famous shogun, Tokugawa Ayasu became the shogun for Japan. How did he become the shogun for Japan? He had conquered 40,000 enemy forces with his army of 38,000. And everybody was celebrating the victory, they explained. And shogun Tokugawa sat on a stool, and then he sat up straightened and erect, and he made this statement that has become famous down through the centuries in Japan. And the statement is, after victory, tighten the cords of your helmet. And they, they came to me, our Japanese partners, and they tightened the cords under the helmet that I was wearing. And they said, Kantor-san, remember, we have victory with the uh, patent. But remember the words of Shogun Tokugawa, after victory, tighten the cords of your helmet. What does that mean? That means don't relax, don't rest, don't think that this is the end of the story. So we have verse 21, unfortunately, which is the recourse. Now, that was what the Jewish people had to expect, the next round of attack. And that's what we have in in this uh, verse 22. That's exactly what we should expect in our lives. After God has taken care of us and we are happy, we need to tighten the cords of our battle helmet and expect the next attack. Verse 22, Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So now we see Pharaoh who's not taking this lying down and he's seen that he has been lied to. He has seen that he has been tricked. He has seen that he's been mocked by the Jewish Hebrew uh, midwives. So he's infuriated. And he says, and he decides he's not going to work any longer with them, but he turns 
in a fury against the Jewish people and he turns to his own Egyptian people and gives them the same orders he gave to the midwives. Every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, that's how chapter 1 ends. Now we come to chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts for us the study of a wonderful person named Moses. We are going to start now in chapter 2 a study in the life of Moses. The history of the, of the life of Moses is going to be for us like a flower that's going to open. And as it does, it's going to open for us and we're going to see the history of a man named Moses, but we're also going to see a very striking parallel to the Lord Jesus Christ. The history of Moses is going to be for us like a prophecy. It's going to be for us like a a preview. It's going to be for us like like a movie of a coming attraction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like to get a hold of the resource for this month? Tom Cantor's written an acclaimed book called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and the Future of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph. This is a wonderful book for any Christian or even an unsaved Jewish person. So please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051 to get your copy of Understanding the Jewish Messiah as Seen Through the Life of Joseph. So call us today at one 800 247 3051, or you can go to one of our websites, israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org to order it from the online bookstore. You can also find other teachings and books and videos and DVDs from Tom Cantor, including his personal testimony. Call and get one of those today, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week at the same time.